Hi everyone, it's been a bit longer than usual. Hope you'll bear with me. Life has been socially eventful, lots of weddings, meeting new people, and trying new things. This has been fulfilling and fun, but uh, I think my exploration and productivity has been lacking. I think I've had less go somewhere and work from a place type trips, which uh, had been extremely productive for me before, but mostly it's because of frustrations digging into energy. I'll talk about that first and then my fun crypto project after. Energy regulatory landscape. I officially spent the last two months doubling down on my bidirectional charger idea. I had a reasonable business plan and sense of the macro environment, but the key question was whether this actually is a land grab type situation. If it were, and the market were to rapidly expand, then we could just focus on implementation and rapid execution. Then there might be room for a new entrant to grab market share versus established charger companies. In a rapidly expanding market, you wouldn't run into the typical issues with selling commodity hardware. A race to the bottom on costs that would be won by companies with large war chests. In order to answer this question, I went on a absolute tear traversing the network of energy people. While I initially hoped that this would validate my previous business strategy and hypothesis, it has instead led me in the other direction. I've learned that the energy industry is a lot more terrible than expected, and being successful in this will come at the cost of speed, growth, and impact. From a residential perspective, the regulatory environment governing bidirectional chargers is frustratingly blocked. There are two ways for residential consumers to make money. One, accessing wholesale energy markets through an aggregator. This is what FERC 2222 mandates. And two, participating in a utility-sponsored energy buying program. Unfortunately, in practice, both of these options require the approval of the utility. This is because utilities own uh, what's called the local interconnect, or the line that goes from your house to the grid. In the wholesale energy market case, you need an additional approval from the ISO to participate in the market. Since utilities are government-approved monopolies, there's basically no alternative. Uh, if your business is constrained by the pace of what utilities will allow, then your startup is dead on arrival with respect to at least achieving fast growth. In the U.S., there's a lot of work left to do to standardize what the local interconnect looks like especially for bi-directional chargers and what pricing interaction the customer gets. In California, there's just about as much government pressure as you could get. Uh, there's the Senate bill SB 676, the CEC, the CPUC, CAISO, PG&E, and San Diego Authority. They're all willfully pushing in the right direction. Even with all this, uh, my best estimate for when this will be broadly available to California residents is 2025 or 2026. The rest of the country is far behind. On top of that, the local transmission network probably needs significant overhaul to add gigawatts of backflow, which would require significant government intervention. There's a couple alternatives. Number one, sell in Europe. If the US market isn't ready for V2G charging for the next several years, a reasonable alternative would be to design and launch a charger for the EU first. The EU is five to 10 years ahead of the US in terms of grid integration capabilities and has, is, has a growing market already. However, the competition in Europe is also a lot stiffer. Wallbox, for example, uh, 
was started in 2017 and has significant traction and investment um, and is a public company as well now. Overall, selling just chargers without a, com a clear competitive differentiator is a difficult proposition. Commodity hardware is hard. Alternative number two is vehicle to home. Another alternative which achieves the same result is to take everyone off the grid. If a significant portion of the US population moves to microgrids with solar and EV battery storage, then the grid will only be used for supplemental power, solving the intermittency problem. One way of pushing towards this is to build a vehicle to home product first. So an EV charger with built-in islanding equipment that can take your home off the grid and power it from your car. A funny and probably economically silly extension of this is to start your own pseudo utility, which provides energy to people's houses by literally driving cars to where they live. <laughs> this way you can allow people to fully cut ties from the grid for a monthly charge. When uh, their own EV is low on charge, then you drive a fully charged new EV to their house and swap it in. This should happen so rarely that it won't be too much of a cost drain. Obvious issues with this approach are numerous. Uh, the person who drives there has to get back somehow. Um, could potentially be solved if you could create a vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle hookup, which transfers the charge from the new EV to the homeowner's EV. Uh, issue number two is people still usually need to power their house when they're driving and away. Uh, so people would need either a secondary smaller stationary battery or to still rely on grid energy whenever they aren't at home. This kind of hamstrings the selling point of the service, which is quote unquote, being net zero with the grid. Alternative number three is APIs. So this compelling model I've discovered is essentially it sidesteps utilities and basically implements Plaid for energy. You take people's login information, spoof a mobile app and scrape data. Arcadia is a company that did it for utility bills and offers an API on top of that data. Optiwatt is a company trying to do it for EV charging control. And Enode is a company offering a more generic API, but with the same core scheme. I think these are interesting models, but I'm not sure how compelling these are for consumers. The value of the data after you get it is clear since you can sell it to utilities, but I'm not sure how much value you're really providing to consumers. There's a hand wavy notion of better control algorithms, but I'm not sure if this is a defensible position in the market long-term. At this point, I'm at a bit of an impasse with energy. The initial idea seems blocked and other ideas I found don't seem to have a reasonable path to even billion dollar scale, let alone trillion dollar scale. Even though I've invested a large amount of time building a network and pool of knowledge understanding this landscape, I'm not sure if I should continue to double down on this or return to a more macro perspective and identifying significant opportunities. Alternatively, I could flip my methodology entirely and go co-founder first. This is the get the smartest people you know in a room and throw things at the wall until something sticks idea. Overall, um, not really sure how to proceed. For now, I think I'll redistribute my time investments slightly back towards the neural interface. Stepping away from energy for a second, I made something interesting in the past few weeks. I've been thinking about ways to improve democracy since generally uh, things don't seem to be trending in the right direction. 
I think one of the problems with the current system is that corporate interests are disproportionately powerful. Legislators are incentivized to align with corporations through lobbying, which is essentially legal bribery. Uh, it'd be nice if everyday people had access to the same capabilities. Currently, people can influence politicians through aggregated lobbying groups or voting. Both are pretty indirect ways of making your voice heard. What if anyone could commit $5 to the legislator for, say, a proposal to codify abortion rights? If such a thing were to exist, it'd probably be immediately sued by opposing interests. It'd be really nice if there were a way for it to be resilient to external influence. A decentralized way to place funding commitments. Yes, I'm talking about a smart contract. Believe it or not, I think this is actually a compelling use case for crypto. Here's how the system works. When a bill is proposed, a contract is created. Anyone can place commitments for or against it. If the bill passes, then the legislator gets all of the money on the support side, the supporters get all of the money on the detractor side, and the detractors get nothing. If the bill fails, then the legislator gets nothing, the supporters get nothing, and the detractors get supporter money and to keep their own commitments. I've included a visual representation if you want to take a look at that as well. To see if the system can be exploited by adversarial actors, let's analyze the incentives of each of the parties in the system, legislator, supporter, and distract detractor. So first off, legislator. Since the legislator gets money if the bill passes, they want to write bills that actually pass. They could do this by writing many trivial bills. However, bills without significant impact won't generate significant supporter pools, so the payouts will be also trivial. Also, legislators will not be incentivized to create off-the-rails controversial bills because they only benefit when bills actually pass. So at the end of the day, the legislator wants to write compelling legislation that will have many supporters and actually pass. On the supporter side, well, the supporter has a chance to profit if the bill passes and also gets a law that they align with passed. They lose money if the bill fails, so their incentive is to place commitments on things they care about and believe will pass more often than not. If the detractor pool is large, then they profit by making plus EV decisions based on the percent likelihood of a legislation passing. For example, they only have to win 10% of the time to break even on committing $10 into a $100 detractor pool. The amount of support that's profitable increases as the detractor pool increases or if the likelihood of passing increases. One possible failure mode could be that an extremely unpopular law with a lot of detractors gains more supporting pool purely because it is a profitable transaction. That might inadvertently incentivize the legislator to make more of those types of laws. However, I think it's almost always greater expected value to be a detractor in this very case, so it shouldn't be an issue. On the detractor side, the detractor gets paid if the bill fails and loses money if the bill passes. As mentioned above, since the win condition is more lenient, um, neutral parties should choose this side to maximize profit. And that seems desirable because we want the system to be biased for cautious lawmaking, not wildly passing things left and right. Okay, enough analysis. Let's see it in action. So my smart contract is actually live right now on the Rinkby testnet. Um, I provide a link in the post. You do need the MetaMask uh, Ethereum wallet 
and set it to rink B to view it. So if you don't have that stuff set up, and I totally don't blame you if you don't, here's a video. It's included in the, the email. So it's cool and functions as expected, but the gap between this prototype and a production system is pretty vast. There are some missing pieces of infrastructure which have key problems to solve. Paying out legislators requires having the Ethereum wallet address for every legislator. To bootstrap this, I could keep creating uh, holding wallets for every legislator, uh, then could make some process for identity verification and wallet handoff. Uh, however, this requires everyone who uses the system to trust me to do this honorably once per legislator. Two, the hook into the actual legal system has to have minimal latency to when a decision is resolved. There's usually a lag time between when all parties involved unofficially know that a bill will be passed and when it is actually passed on paper. That might present arbitrage opportunities for someone to place bets after already knowing that something will pass or fail. And three, marking bills as rejected is actually surprisingly difficult. In practice, bills actually never officially get rejected. Most of the time, they are just infinitely shelved, uh, labeled as awaiting action. In order to resolve these, we need to set reasonable timeout thresholds. On top of those technical difficulties, there are some key philosophical issues that might make the system undesirable. Uh, corporations could lobby more than they already do. Foreign actors could also lobby more than they already do. Uh, people directly voting on things could be bad. Uh, people shouldn't have to spend money to have their voices be heard. And most people maybe don't have disposable income anyway. You could potentially solve some of these issues by implementing a Know Your Customer or KYC system where all participants must verify their identity similar to onboarding to Coinbase, for example. But that would add significant friction to the payout process. Maybe that's not a bad thing. One of the key things I discovered while making this project is that Ethereum dev tooling is terrible, at least with the tools that I was using, Truffle, Ganache, and Infura. There's no way to do runtime debugging, and there's no way to get console output. I literally had to comment out half my code and binary search to see where errors were coming from. I'm very surprised that this is the case, given Ethereum has a $200 billion market cap and a huge developer community. Maybe there's an interesting opportunity here to make actually reasonable developer tools for Ethereum. At any rate, this has been a very interesting learning experience. If you want to check out my code, it's linked in the post. In terms of next steps, I'd be interested in pursuing this if it can have tangible impact on the country, but I'm not sure if that's the case. I'm very curious to collect feedback from people who actually have knowledge or influence in this space, like legislators, lobbyists, and political scientists. Beyond that, if a random billionaire wants to throw a large sum of money into making this a reality, I'd probably be down to try. At the end of the day, I do think it would require that level of influence and branding to make it work. As a funny side note, as of a week ago, Californians can now use cryptocurrency for campaign donations. So maybe this idea isn't so far-fetched after all. That's it for this one. And as always, I appreciate you listening and be very interested to hear any feedback that you have. It's always really valuable and I appreciate it. <laughs>